Okay, my mic wasn't on. That's why. Um, my name is Chris Hilkin. I am from, uh, well, I guess I don't need to just say San Diego, huh? Because you guys know where San Diego is. Like when I teach at Hume Lake, I just use general San Diego. But I'm from Bonzel, which is right by Fallbrook, which is near Oceanside, which is only like 30 minutes away from like Rancho Santa Fe. And I've heard of San Juan Capistrano. So like I, <coughs> and anyone else here, I forgot the rest of you. But well, we we were all from California. Um, I am I I work at Nor North Coast Church down there in Vista, California. I have five kids. It's entirely too many. Um, so if you see them playing outside, and you want to take one of them, it's whatever. You know what I mean? It's like there's four more. So just probably give them back by the end of the weekend. But you can hang out with them and stuff like that. But they'll be walking around during dinner time. They'll be taking your food. They'll be sneezing on you, things like that. Don't worry about it. They have <coughs> very few diseases, so you should be, you should be totally good. But um, I don't know if you're like me, but any of y'all have any like pet peeves here? Yeah, okay, yeah. Mine's when people scream when I'm talking. Just kidding. Um, I'm just, I'm playing around. But uh, so have you guys ever gone to like give someone a handshake before? What's your name? Izzy? No. Okay. Uh, Izzy, can you stand up real quick? It'll be real quick. Uh, okay, so one of my pet peeves is when someone, come, like when I go to give someone a handshake and they give you what I call like the dead fish handshake. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like they just kind of plop their hand in your hand, almost like they're a part of like the old school royal family like this. So yeah, you go to have a good handshake, you feel respectable, you feel like, yeah, I'm having a really good day. And then someone, Izzy, go ahead and give me a handshake. And they just give you one of, look at these guys, look at this guy, okay? And you just go, why? And you immediately, like, every insecurity that you have in life comes out. Because you're like, why do I, like, do I need to kiss your ring? Izzy, you can have a seat. But that's one of my pet peeves. But um, one of my other ones, and you might relate with this, and I don't know where you are. Like, maybe y'all are like, I'm not really a church person, right? <laughs> I don't really like this stuff. Who is this guy talking? <laughs> he moderately resembles Justin Bieber's. Um, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, I don't know your background on it, where you came from. But um, one thing that always, that's like, was always a pet peeve of mine when I came to camp growing up, you know, was if the speaker would ever get up there and treat me like I was seven when I was like 18. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to make uh, a couple commitments to you. And then I want you to make a couple commitments to me, okay? And you don't have to. You might be one of those guys who's like, no, no, I don't. I'm going to sleep. That's fine. It's whatever. Just, like, don't snore or you can leave. But, um, but I get it. Here's my commitments to you. Number one, I want to ground everything that I say in Scripture, okay? So my hope is that by, and during this weekend, if you have no clue who God is, I don't want to give you, like, Chris Hilkins' take on Jesus, like, that's my name. But I don't want, I don't care that you know what I think about God. You know what I mean? I really want you to understand what Scripture says about God. Like, this, the document, the Bible that we're going to be using, it, it's terrifying in a lot of different ways. Like, it'll get you killed in some countries. It's, it's started, it's ended wars, it's ended slavery. It's done a lot of crazy, this Bible stands on its own. I just want to teach it to you. So my commitment to you is I want to ground everything that I say in the text. That's important for me. The second commitment is that at some point in this weekend, 
I'm going to say something that offends you. I promise you. I don't mean like crude or crass or anything else like that. I mean that the Bible is also an offensive document. I mean that the Bible literally begins in the position that says, no matter who you are, you will meet the God of the universe someday. And for the vast majority of all humankind, that appointment's going to go really poorly. The scripture makes it very clear over and over again. And, and, and so, kind of like a doctor, like you walk into the doctor's office, and sometimes the doctor has a stethoscope, and they listen to your heart, right? And they're like, your heart's beating good. And that's helpful sometimes. Like there's so, Sometimes it's good to hear a sermon where the pastor listens to your heart, and they give you a message of encouragement, and that's great. There's also another doctor, and he's, he's called a surgeon, and his tool of care is a scalpel, and it cuts the flesh, but they both mean to heal. Both the one who listens to the heart and the, the part that cuts the flesh are both meant for healing, right? And so wh- wh- when I say something, or if I say something, I want you to know that my commitment to you is to talk to you like adults. I'm not going to treat you like your children. Like, y'all can do so many things. Like, y'all are driving cars around, and I'm going to sugarcoat what I say to you. That is, like, doesn't make any sense to me. Like, some of y'all can go in the army and defend our country, and you don't think that I'm going to shoot it to you straight? That's, that's, that, the idea of that, to me, is offensive. And you should be offended by it too. And you might go to like school and your teacher might be like patronizing you or talking down to you or whatever. I'm just just not going to do it. So those are my commitments to you. Okay. Here's what I like for your commitment to me to be. Number one is this. Number one is that if I say something that you go, mm, Stacy, I didn't like what he just said. Or you're like, Randy, that's like your new boyfriend, Randy, get him, Randy. Randy, we've been through a lot. First the bus, now this right now. Randy, get him, Randy. I don't mean to mock your brand new relationships. I don't mean to. The odds are that your relationship will last well into marriage. Um, no. Um, but hey, with God, all things are possible. But you and Randy, like, no. Anyway, so I want your commitment to me to be this. When you go, mm, uh-uh, I didn't like that. It, that's okay. But I want your response to what you don't like that I'm saying to also be grounded in Scripture. Because if you go, I don't agree with that. Look, friend, no one cares. Like this, the Bible's been around for like thousands and thousands of years. So when God through the text says something to you, you go, mm, no, it 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 doesn't it, the. Ameri- the, the common high school American psyche is that you've been programmed to intake information and then to kind of go, I like that, I don't like that, I like this rule, I don't like this rule, I like that. And if you feel a certain way about something strong enough in our culture, we allow you to get away with it as it being true, right? Like if, if, if one of you guys was like deeply passionate that that red mushroom was blue and you walked up here and you were like, it's blue to me. Most people in our culture would go, hey, Chris, if it's blue to them, it's blue to them. And it get, if you get all worked up, 
I wouldn't even know what to say. I'd be like, okay, like, we, would have, we could all come in here and that red thing could be a different color as long as you cried a little bit and felt really, but it's, <coughs> scripture, scripture doesn't work that way. Like, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't bend to culture. His word doesn't, doesn't form around our thoughts and our opinions. And so my, com- my commitment that I'm hoping you'll make to me is that as you, as you doth protest, as you go, I don't know if I agree with that, grounded in text. If you want to come up to me and go, I don't like what you said, I'm going to already tell you my response. I'm going to say, what does scripture say about that? And if you want to come up and go like, I don't like that scripture says that, great, high five. Randy, you, that's fine. But it doesn't make it any less true. C.S. Lewis has this great quote where he says, us, we trying to eliminate the character or idea or presence of God by claiming he doesn't exist or I don't like him is as absurd as someone sitting in the middle of daylight and writing darkness on the wall and thinking it changes the scope of the room. Does it? <coughs> you naming light darkness doesn't make it any darker. It just makes you look crazy, Right? The second commitment is that you just lean in. You might think, you might think you're like, I'm here because <clears throat> Ben's dad, he's on my basketball team, and he's the coach, and so like he said I should go to this Hume Lake thing, Hume SoCal thing, and like so that's why I'm here. You, you've got a thousand reasons why you think you're here, but there's only one reason you're here. Because God has called you to the mountain to speak to you. That's it. And, and as adults, I, I firmly believe this. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm an apologist. This doesn't mean I just I'll go around, like, saying sorry to people. But as an apologist, like, part of my job, I go to conferences and I t- teach at churches and I, I give evidence for God's existence. Like, that's my job. So I, I answer tough questions. I prove God's existence. That's, that's like, what I do as, a, as, like, a profession, right? It's, like, part of who I am. So as you navigate these things, one thing that I want you to get with complete clarity is that I have a firm, fixed, unyielding opinion that I believe is grounded in truth that you will meet God face to face someday and that you will be held accountable for the decisions even that you make in a weekend like this. You're going to be responsible to the information that you've been given. You're going to be responsible to the text that sits, sits before you right now. You're going it, it, it's you... You, you're, you're not going to be a ship that passes in the, in the night with the God of the universe. And that's like our modern way of thinking. Right? We've got the religious people over there, and they, they intersect with God. They like want to know what he's thinking. They want to know what he's doing. And, and you think to yourself, I'm not, <coughs> I'm not religious. Like you're like, I don't hate God. I just, I'm just not really a religious person. And the, the Bible says... There's only two kinds of people on planet Earth that have ever lived. Those who worship the creator and those who worship created things. The Bible says, don't make that mistake. No one's irreligious. Everyone's a worshiper. You came out of the womb worshiping, and and all you've done in your life is you've worshiped something. You can't even help it, right? You're like, I'm not really a worshiper, right? Like, you might go, church people, here's what they do. They get up early on a Sunday morning. They go, and then they put their hands in the air, you know. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns. Some of you guys are trying so hard not to do the hand motions right now. You're like, ugh, don't do it. 
And then, right, like the offering comes by and like you're, you just, you, it, you're cynical about the whole thing. Like, and then people give money and it's like, oh man, this is the opiate of the masses, you know? You get like, this is your attitude towards church. And, and then someone would ask you, well, are, are you religious? You're like, no. Like, okay, well, how do you spend your Sunday? Okay, well, first of all, I wake up early. And if the football game's on, I'll put on a jersey that's the same color as the people in Kansas that are playing the game. And then the louder I yell at the screen of pixels, that demonstrates to me in real time what they're doing, the more my team scores touchdowns and stuff. Go Niners. <laughs> Go Niners. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, uh, God bless you, Nova Solely. Okay. Um, <laughs> right? And then you're like, well, yeah. And then, but if there's a game in town, man, I'll spend a lot of money to go to the games, to be involved. In and it's, right? Don't you see, at our core, all we're, we're doing, we're doing the very things that God made us to do. God, God made us as worshiping beings. God made us to worship him. And, and what we've done in our life is we haven't ceased to worship. We've just ceased to worship him. Romans 1 says, no one, everyone knows that there's a God, and we've either rejected him, and we've worshipped created things, or we re realize that he's God, and we've worshipped him. That's it. But at the end of our lives, when we meet God face to face, it'll be a simple question. Did, what did you do with Jesus? The person of Jesus who came down, and he split time. Like, if y'all look at y'all's phones right now, if you have got any service, today is, is January 20th? Yes! 21st! Of the year 2022, which like your phone literally screams out. 2022 years ago is when someone went, I think we should start counting up. Why? The, the very bifurcation of all time is an event where Jesus Christ raised from the dead. When Jesus was born and came back from the dead, it was such a monumental event in all of history. We stopped counting the whole system differently. The reason you're sitting here, the reason that there's churches, it's, it, there's this movement from the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is so extravagant and otherworldly and supernatural that if you don't take the time and stop and think about it, you should. What are you, why are we talking about this dead kind of weird hippie guy, in your opinion, that died 2,000 years ago? A lot of people have died. A lot of people have accomplished more than he did. A lot of people have had more money than him and more power than him and more success than him. and more. Like Jesus, he met with 12 dudes and walked around an area that was no bigger than like Connecticut his whole life. He only spent three years in actual ministry and then he died alone and by himself and now we're talking about him. What's your name? Marley, what's your great-great-great-grandpa's name? You have no clue. Like, you came from him. What's your name? Yeah. Tatum? What's your great-great-grandma's name? You have no clue. That's literally like, you wouldn't be here without her. You can't go three generations away. This is your family, man. Tatum? What's your name? Amanda, you have a great uncle? You don't know. That's like your grandpa's brother. Like, I don't, I literally, my world is this big. It's just, it's Amanda-sized. 
You know, and it's, it's funny, but it's the funny thing is it's not unique at all, right? And we're talking about Jesus Christ. The Middle Eastern, five foot six on a good day, carpenter, who got ridiculed. Here's what Isaiah says about him. It says he was a man of no repute, and it, it, people would hide their face. He was a, he was a not attractive, he was an ugly Middle Eastern man. That's, let's read the text. He literally, it says, there was nothing about him that would attract you to him. He wasn't, he wasn't tall. He wasn't, he wasn't, but, but we're talking about him. That's got to irritate someone in here. What do we do when talking about this guy? Because he called his resurrection and then he pulled it off. And now we jump back into the text of a story of a man named Jonah who interacted with God and was literally God's mouthpiece. And through his story, we want to learn a little bit more about what God wants to talk to you about today. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Jonah. It's a tiny little book in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, and if you don't know where it is, there's a table of contents that God put at the beginning of your Bible when he wrote it. Right there, it'll tell you the page it's on. If you've got a nerdy friend who finds Bible verses really quick, give, it to them, give your Bible to them and go, Hey nerd, find that passage. And they're going to go, don't call me nerd, but secretly they're going to love finding it again. It's weird. It's just the way that we're made. I don't know why. And if you open your Bible directly to the page that says Jonah on it, I'm just saying, the Lord is in this place. All right, here we go. Jonah, <coughs> chapter one. It's a weird story. I'm warning you ahead of time. The book of Jonah. To set it up, as y'all are turning there, Jonah is a prophet, right? So for you Harry Potter fans, that doesn't mean that prophets don't always just go sometime, right? Like they, They're not always just telling the future. They're also just truth tellers. That's what the word actually means. They're, they come to tell truth. So <coughs> here's what happens. How many of you guys need another minute? A couple of y'all. Yeah, it's a tiny book. It's a weird book, but it's a good one. All right. Okay. Here we go. You might not be there, but we don't have time, Susan. It's time to go. Here we go. Ready? Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's what God says to him. Okay? So God speaks to Jonah. This is what a prophet's job is. Listen from God. Talk to the people. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Great meaning big, right? It took three days to walk from one side of the city to the other side of the city. This is a big old city, okay? So it doesn't mean great as like fantastic, great views, nice people. He means great, big. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Call them to repent because its wickedness has come up before me. So God says there's this group of people and they are wicked, right? They're bad people. I want you to go and tell them that I exist, and that my judgment's coming for them. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, right? A lot of you guys are like, how many of you guys are not really up to date on your whole Tarshish, Joppa, Nineveh geography? Yeah, that'd be like everyone. Okay, so it's equivalent to if God came to you in San Diego and said, I want you to go tell the Tijuanans about me, and you went to Canada instead. Like, God tells him, I want, to, I want you to go to Turkey, and he goes to Spain. 
That's 3,000 miles away, okay? So Jonah doesn't just say no to God. He says, heck no. And he goes the complete opposite direction. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. That's the wrong way. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. (coughs) After paying the fare, circle that phrase if you have a pen or pencil, that phrase in your Bible, after paying the fare. He went aboard and set sail for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, okay? Let me tell you a characteristic about God, friends. God is omniscient, okay? Omni means all. Then the second word is where we get the word science, knowing. God is all, he knows everything, right? God is also omnipotent. Potent meaning strength. God is all powerful. God is also omnipresent, which means he's in all places at the same time. So let me talk to you about the idiocy of fleeing from the Lord, (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to go here and God's not going to be there. The omnipresent God won't be in Spain, right? This is what it says. You don't, sometimes you don't think clearly, right? This is what Jonah's doing. I'm going to flee from the Lord. He won't see me in Tarshish. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out each to his own God. Circle the phrase, own God. This is what it's talking about. Everyone's religious. There's not an irreligious man on that boat. And when the time comes, we cry out to our gods. And our gods can look like a lot of different things, right? Don't just think, well, I don't have a golden calf at my house, right? Maybe you do, right? That would be an idol, but our idols can be anything. Some of your idols are what the people around you think about you. There's something in your life that you ask the question, what am I worth? What is my purpose and what is my destiny? There's something in your life you ask those three questions to. What am I worth? What is my purpose? What is my destiny? There is something you ask that question to. And if you can't think of anything in your life, your idol might be self. It might be you. You might believe that you accumulate your own self-worth and you're on a journey of self-discovery and it's all about what you think about you and your purpose is to make much of you and, and, and your value is found in, in, how, in how great you are. You have found your idol in the mirror every day. For some of us, it's, again, what people think around us. So you dress a certain way because you want them to give you value. You hand your scorecard of life to the people who sit nearest to you. You say, excuse me, friend, excuse me, Izzy, let me, Amanda, tell me how I'm doing. So when you wake up, you get ready and you think about how are they going to score me today? What are they going to think about me today? And then when you find popularity or you find worth or you find value or you find acceptance, you do what? You do it more. This is, like, this is like high school in a box. We become caricatures of ourselves. The moment we get attention for something or value in something, we become like the most extreme version of it over and over again. It's called idolatry. There's a thousand things you can have. Some of us are like all about science. We're like, I believe in science, right? Which is great. You should believe in science. But if you think that science is going to tell you your purpose, worth, and destiny, even though those are questions you have, you can't come up with a solution because science won't give you the answer. We all worship something. There is a God in your life. And it says that these people, they had physical, tangible representations of their gods, and they cried out to their own gods, and then they threw cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. Okay? Ship's going down, water's coming on, better lighten the load. But Jonah, homie, was sleeping, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us play Yahtzee and find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they literally cast lots, 
try to find out who it is. It's like rock, paper, scissors, <coughs> or uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, right? So they literally are like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you're going to die, okay? I didn't mean to point at anyone individually, not that you're not going to die, but like not soon, you know what I mean? Like we're all going to die, okay. This just got real existential real quick. <laughs> we're all like, I am going to die, okay. You're actually closer to death than when I started this sentence. Okay, here we go. And now than when I first made that comment. Okay, the lots fell on Jonah, verse 8. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? <laughs> what line of work are you in? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, what pe- from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Doesn't look like it, Jonah. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You're about to come well acquainted with the sea, okay? This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. We're going to stop there for tonight. Jonah recognizes what is right and what is wrong. Everything that is right is consistent with God's character. Everything that is wrong, which we call sin, Sin is everything that is inconsistent with God's character, okay? Let me demonstrate for you. <coughs> Why, uh, what's your name? Michael. Uh, Michael, how old are you? 22, okay. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. I'm 32, but I'm feeling 22, the great theologian Taylor Swift once penned those lyrics. Um, <clears throat> Michael, Michael, okay. your name means who is like God, okay? That's a neat name. Why is murder wrong? Because God says it's wrong. Okay, that's fair enough. Michael says murder's wrong because God says it's wrong. What's your name? Chase, how old are you? 18. Senior? Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Where are you going to school next year? Oh, absolutely. Maybe nowhere. The world is your oyster, man. You know what I mean? Maybe take a year off, you know? Go to the Bahamas. Who knows? Find yourself. Wanderlust. The mountains are calling and I must go. Uh, Chase, why is murder wrong? Michael said it's wrong and God said it's wrong. You know what God really needed? God really needed Michael's support on that one. God's up there going, I want them to know what's wrong. I just need one more advocate. And like a white knight, Michael's like, I, I think it's wrong too. So, And now we've got Chase who thinks it's wrong. And Michael, we're always like, it's going to snowball out of control if we don't slow it down. Why does God say that murder is wrong? Yes, yeah, still you. Because killing is bad. Why is killing bad? Because God says it is? Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's a senior. Okay. Um, no, it's good. No, it's good. I put you on the spot. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, what's your name? Dave, your voice is lower than mine. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Are you 45? You've been smoking for 20 years? What? My name's David. You sing in a choir like a 
barbershop quartet or something like that? <laughs> Old Man River. All right, David, try to get in a frequency I can hear, and then why is murder wrong? Shay said it's wrong. Michael said it's wrong. <laughs> Sin is any thought, word, action, attitude, or deed that is inconsistent with God's character. In Scripture, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the... So why is murder wrong? God's character, God is a God of life. So what does murder do? It takes it away. So that's inconsistent with God's character. God is life. Murder is death. Murder's wrong. Is it wrong? Is it wrong for any of us to hate? Yes, Scripture says, even with your enemies, you are not to hate your enemies, you're to pray for your enemies. Why is it wrong for you to hate your enemies? It's wrong for you to hate because God is a God of love. It's inconsistent with his character. Sin is that which is inconsistent with the character of God. Anything you do, any attitude you have that's inconsistent with the character of God, anything that you say that's inconsistent with the character of God. God is a God of, God of peace, so when we cause calamity, it's sin. God is a God of encouragement, so when we rip someone apart, it's sin. God is a God of creation. God is a God of, of dwelling, and so when we do things that are opposite of those, when we, when we hurt his creation, when we hurt his children, when we offend them in a way that is inappropriate, when we use language that God gave us to worship him instead to demean and tear, it's inconsistent with his character. And the Bible says that we actually came out of the womb rebelling against God. We are naturally sinful. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end by do, just giving you a little demonstration, a little bit of a representation, okay? Uh, what's your name? Yeah. Jack. How tall are you, Jack? Okay, come on. You can come on up here. Come on up here. This is Jack, okay? He hasn't done anything yet. Don't clap for him, okay? Jack. Don't, don't boo him. Jack, come here. Look at me. Let's go to the middle. Let's go in the middle here, Jack. Jack, you play basketball? No. Okay. Jack, we're not going to fight. <laughs> or are we? <laughs> Thanks. Um, Jack, I would say that the modern American high schooler, the, and this isn't just high schooler, probably uh, I work with young adults in particular, like 18 to 25-year-olds, and I would say that the modern American psyche, especially when it comes to Christianity, is that if that back wall back there is like perfection, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly all-knowing, perfectly everything, and this back wall is like scum of the earth. I'm talking about like, you are disgusting. Every thought you have, everything that you do, like you're responsible for like the murder of Jesus himself. Like that's like this position right here. It's like the worst you could possibly be. Most of us are willing to yield this position with God. We stand here, and, we, and if Jack is God, and I am wretched, and I am man, I'm willing to stand here and go, God, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that when it comes to holiness, power, moral strength, all those things, you are on this side of this little caravan we have. I'm a little bit less than you. I'm over here. So where I'm wise, you're about two feet wiser. Where I'm strong, you're about two feet stronger. Where I'm powerful, you're two feet more powerful. Where I know more, you know what two feet. 
we're almost all willing to go, oh, no, there's a God. There might be a God up there. But he kind of thinks like I do. He processes like I do. Which is why when God does something that I disagree with, I'm really fast and apt to go, "Mm, maybe there is no God. Because he must think and act like me. Now, granted, he's a little bit nicer. He might be a little bit more powerful. But he's certainly a lot like I am. And and we we might not say this out loud, right? We would sing songs, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? And we sing those songs. But we really, when we talk about holiness, we're just saying, God, I'm, I better sing a song to you because it sounds like you're in charge of this whole heaven thing and you are a little bit more advanced than I am. And the more we grow, we actually put ourselves a little bit closer, right? We're a little bit, I'm not going to touch you, don't worry about it. He's like, if he kisses me, I'm not going to, we're going to be fine. <laughs> And here's what, the, here's what scripture wants us to recognize. What scripture wants us to recognize is that when we take this position with ourselves and God, we have almost muted entirely what the scripture wants to tell us. But most of us, the reason that we've always been resistant to what scripture says and hesitant to follow God is because we don't see the need. I might not be where he is, but I'm pretty dang close. When we talk about sin, we automatically do something. What's your name? Wes. My dude. What's up, Wes? Can you stand up? Okay, Wes. Wes, unfortunately. Okay, come here. You're going to stand, just stand at the, like, yeah, the first row. Okay? So we read scripture just like Jonah did, right? And it says, the wickedness of the people. God's anger burned against the sinful nature of the people. And we stand here and we go, oh, God, dude. Look at those wicked people over there. This is what Jonah did. He stood next to God and he went, can you believe those guys? A wicked, messed up generation. Jonah goes, I'm not even going to preach the gospel to them. I'm not going to tell them to repent because they're so messed up. And every one of us in the position we are in our life, we look at the people that are behind us that are a little bit more morally deficient than we are. And we want God to draw the line right here. Right? Are you a good person? You're not? What about you? Are you a good person? No? Are you a good person? You are? Are you a good person? You don't know. It's probably important to know that, right? Am I a good person or not? Like, your whole job in life is to be a person, and we don't know if we're good or not. We're like, am I doing a good job? Like, you have one job. Be a person. Are you a good one? I'm not even sure. (laughs) Right? If you're a basketball player, we can look at your... You can look at maybe you're defensive, so you can block shots, or you can get rebounds like Dennis Rodman, right? Or maybe you're more of an, of an offensive player, so we would judge your shooting percentage, your ability to shoot the three-pointer, like all this. But as a person, we just sit here and go, I don't know. My whole existence is coming into question. Now, am I a good one or a bad one? I don't really know. Here's what Scripture says. Scripture says, don't stand by God. You're not invited to stand here. And we look behind us and we go, well, I'm, okay, this is my favorite. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm. I may not be perfect, right? Like, like as, if, as if we're close, right? Like, yeah, no, I mean, no one's perfect. And that's where we stand. And then when we say, well, who is bad? Most people you ask, if you're, they'll say, I'm good. And you go, well, who's bad? They always point to people who are just a little bit worse than them, right? So if you're standing here like, well, I'm, I may not be the best, right? Like, sure, I lie and I cheat and I steal and I've committed adultery. And you're like, well, no, I haven't committed adultery. The scripture says, if you've committed adultery, if you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It says if you've ever hated someone, you've committed murder against them. But what do we do? We go, mm, I might be, I'm like 
pecanito, you know, it's like Spanish for like little sin. So when we, when we hear about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, what do we think? We go, that was a pretty intense response to such an insignificant sin. Jesus' death, like 95% of the nails in the blood were for those people. Like, I'm like one thorn in the crown of thorns. That's like all, that's all, that's all that I needed from him. Because I'm a pretty good person. And then when we say, well, then who's a bad person? We always point to the person behind us. And no matter who you ask, almost everyone on planet Earth always is the same measure. They might go, well, I may not be the best person, but at least I'm not who? Wes! Who's Wes in, our, in, in history and in culture? If we were like, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm not the best person, but at least I'm not, who's the... Hitler, Stalin. We, guys, when we're asked whether or not we're good people, we jump straight to genocidal dictators and say, I'm not one of them. Pol Pot, Mao, Stalin, Mussolini, and Hitler. We literally measure ourselves as if when we meet God face to face, we go, God, don't you realize I'm not one of the seven? I'm not Hitler or Mussolini or Pol Pot or Mao. I'm none of them. Can I come into heaven, please? But the scripture actually invites us to stand next to them. And it says, the book of James says, if you've stumbled in one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Which means there isn't a sin that Hitler is guilty of that I'm also not guilty of. And see, the more we study scripture, the more that we understand about God, the more that God takes a trip that direction, all the way back to the back wall, my man. And the more that I... Take a trip this direction. And if Wes is Hitler, and up here is the scum of the earth that's responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, Scripture only allots me, allows me, and permits me to stand in one place in this room. And it's no closer to Jack than I am right now. And I'm not even allowed to stand next to Wes. Wes would be morally superior to me. Because I have stumbled in one thing, which means I'm guilty of breaking the whole thing. You see, what's funny is this. The people who study who God is the most do not stand close to him. They, they, they tremble in fear and they wretch themselves away from him. And every man in scripture, every man and woman in scripture who has an accurate, at least accurate understanding of who God is, you'll find some point in their life where they fall on their face, they fall on their knees, and they weep out and cry out in a loud voice. And they simply say this, there's a man called Isaiah, and he was a prophet of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God face to face. You know what he says? He says, woe is me. That means destruction ought to come for me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and now my eyes have seen the Lord. He trembles in fear and cowers. Moses stands in front of God in Exodus chapter 3. There's a burning bush, and he realizes who the God is that's speaking to him. He takes off his shoes. He trembles before him, and he freaks out at who he's in the presence of. It happens again and again in Scripture. There's even times where people are in the presence of angels and they fall down like dead men because they're freaking out about what's going on. And you get example after example that the more acutely aware you become of who God is, the more you're going to become aware of how dreadfully, fatally sinful you are. And if you've approached Hume Lake, if you've approached Hume SoCal this weekend, come back here, Jet. And you've taken this position with God that for sure he's a little bit more, for sure he's a little bit more. But you, if you don't get what this whole crucifixion, resurrection, 
penalty, penance, payment, debt, right? The, the, the songs that we sing that you've maybe heard in your churches, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. It's not, it, we didn't, God didn't have to search for the dot of crimson stain on your perfectly white, fluffy dress, right? He wasn't like, do you have, your whole body stained with it. And it says our natural position, Romans chapter 3, it says this. There is no one who seeks God, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The next verse, Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says there is no one righteous, not even one. It says everything we do, we are like snakes, and all we do is perpetuate more venom. We're incapable of doing anything good. Romans chapter 7, Paul is writing, and this is Paul, this is the apostle. He saw the resurrected Jesus face to face. You know what he writes? I do junk I don't want to do. And the stuff I know I'm supposed to do, I refrain from doing. I am guilty of sins of commission. I do junk. I commit things I don't want to commit. And then Paul says, I'm also guilty of sins of omission. I also see stuff I'm supposed to do, and I don't do it. And this is Paul speaking. And Paul finally throws up his hands, and he says this question. Who can rescue me from this body of death? And there's only one answer. And I've got to figure out a way. Jack, go back to that back wall. Sorry for all the walking. Wes, you can go sit down. Thank you, my man. Here's the question that the Ninevites ponder that you and I are invited to ponder right now. Scripture says, I'm going to move this podium. Scripture says that on the moment that you close your eyes in death, you were born here. None of y'all are up there. None of y'all get any closer to Jack. No one's getting closer to that back wall. In the book of Job, the book, book, book of Isaiah, it reminds us, every time we try to do something to blot out some sin we've committed, it's like putting dirty, filthy rags in front of God. You can't go on enough mission trips to undo the sin in your life. You can't sing enough songs. You can't learn enough chords in the guitar to worship. It, it won't work. But the Bible says one really haunting thing, that on the day we close our eyes in death, if we are not perfect like God is perfect, Revelation chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, Jesus calls us this. He says, Jesus says, be perfect like I am perfect. And if you're not perfect, if you're not standing where Jack is, if you're not sinless, blameless, and perfect, when you meet God face to face, he will say, get away from me. You, just like Jonah, you wicked generation. I don't know who you are. That's the reality of scripture. And, and, and this is the rock that should be put in your shoe as we walk away tonight. None of you, none of, I won't meet God face to face and go, I had five kids. That was hard. I only punched them every once in a while. Like I, you know, like I, it's, I, I, I preached at Hume Lake. I was a pastor. The response is going to be, but are you perfect? The only people who get into heaven are perfect, spotless, blameless. And in all of human history, the list of people who qualify on those grounds is only one name long, and it's not yours. And it's not mine. It's Jesus. So here's our conundrum. I have to, outside of my own reason, strength, will, and power, get over there. And every time I try to take a step forward, I take a step back because in my pride, I'm trying to accomplish something that I'm not, I'm not capable of accomplishing. 
And even as I try to worship God, I'm borrowing breath that he gave me that I've used to poison other people and to hurt others to try to get closer to him. It's just not going to work. So what are we going to do? Maybe you're offended right now. I told you I was going to do it. Because without God, without a solution, you and I are dumpster fires. That's all we got. We're sinful, we're broken, we're distant from God. And if you don't know Jesus, and if you don't surrender your life to Jesus, you will meet him. And this won't qualify. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, begins with really bad news. There's a gap that separates me from God that I'm incapable of bridging. Gospel wrecks the hopelessness of this moment. I can't wait to share it with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. That just like with the story of Jonah, Jonah associated himself with you. He didn't associate himself with his wickedness. He didn't think he's the one who needed saving. And then he looked at the people around him, just like the older brother from the story of the prodigal son, with pride in his heart, he looked down on other people. And God, there's people sitting here in this room that are built just like me growing up, that we, we're sitting here and we're thinking, man, I really hope the sinful kids in this room heard what he just said. That are thinking, man, I hope the new kid that doesn't come to church, I hope he's, I hope he's really listening because he needs this. God, would you wreck our hearts, whether we are full of pride or we are far from you, that whenever we don't have a heart that looks like yours, that we are far and we are distant from who you are. Would you convict us where we need convicting? Would you encourage us where we need encouragement? Would you teach us more about you? Would we feel your loving kindness beckon us and stir and wrestle with these truths that we don't have what it takes to get to you. Let me pray. Amen.